Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, cultural enrichment, and all-inclusive fares. Discover more at viking.com. Smart speakers and their voice-powered assistants are changing the way millions of people find music, organize tasks, and control their connected homes. In the U.S., one in four adults now owns a smart speaker, and odds are that smart speaker is probably controlled by Amazon's Alexa. It's the voice assistant that's estimated to power two-thirds of all smart speakers in use. The next few years of development are expected to bring more conversational interactions with Alexa and more widespread availability of the service. Imagine an Alexa-enabled car, hotel room, or even hospital. But in order for these devices to better understand and serve us, they need data. And reports that a team at Amazon is actively listening and analyzing conversations of select Alexa users have stoked privacy concerns. This episode, we're stepping out of the newsroom to bring you highlights from the Future of Everything Festival. For four days, Wall Street Journal editors and industry minds gathered in New York to examine how advancements in science and technology are revolutionizing business, culture, and society. Rohit Prasad and Tony Reed lead teams at Amazon focused on improving Alexa's user experience and the underlying artificial intelligence that makes it all possible. They're joined on stage with The Wall Street Journal's personal tech columnist, Christopher Mims, to discuss what's next for the voice assistant and how they strike a balance between the need for consumer data and the need to maintain privacy. So which of you is the voice behind Alexa? <laughs> Neither. Neither? I thought it was a hybrid. I probably guess it's not Rohit. <laughs> is it true that Alexa is a totally synthetic voice? Uh, there's a human behind it. Yeah. Have we found that human? Like, no. we found Siri? Okay. All right. So I want to jump right into it because you guys uh, made some news, the kind that I'm sure you don't like to make, which was uh, there was... In April, a report from Bloomberg revealed that Amazon has thousands of people deployed across the globe to help improve Alexa's understanding of human speech. To do this, the team listens to and analyzes voice recordings captured on Amazon's Alexa-powered smart speakers. Then, their notes on the content of these recordings are fed into the system's AI to help it deliver better responses to commands and questions. I asked Rohit and Tony how this fits in with Amazon's larger strategy. Uh, so first, first and foremost, customer trust is paramount to us. It's a core tenet with everything we do. From very day one of Alexa as a product, when we launched Echo, we, had, we believed in full transparency, and you have a light ring which tells you when exactly it's streaming something to the cloud. Uh, you also have all the control. You can go and listen to any audio and delete it uh, that has been recorded through Alexa. Uh, and in addition, when uh, you have to recognize that for this technology to work, we want to make it work for everyone. And there's a ton of diverse accents, diverse language patterns. I speak very differently than Tony. Uh, and to do that, a very small fraction and very small number of recordings are uh, analyzed by our employees. And we have zero tolerance policy on this one in terms of any kind of abuse in there. And in general, you can think of examples like, for me, Boston and Austin are confused occasionally when I ask Alexa for a request because I clearly have an accent. There are many such examples, like if you were using the word curling in a different context, like in Olympics, it's all very seasonal. It, Olympics come back after three, four years. So as part of making Alexa smarter, you do need some amount of human input. 
But what we are doing is making tons of advances in this technology where we just added in December a new capability for Alexa to learn directly from customers. Where if it makes errors, like if you said, Alexa, play the ABC song, and it doesn't know what the ABC song is, what customers do next is ask it, Alexa, play that alphabet song. And Alexa then automatically learns without any human labeling that these two uh, expressions were actually the same thing. So we are going to keep advancing these uh, more self-learning and machine learning technologies that do not rely on humans, and we, you'll continue to see Alexa get smarter much faster. So the bottom line, I feel like with any AI training system is there's going to be, especially in its early stages, some human input. And so it sounds like what you're saying is it comes down to do you trust Amazon as a company to have the right internal controls around that data and information? Is that right? That's correct. So let's talk a little bit about reach, because I feel like as with any project at Amazon, uh, that's changing so quickly, it's always nice to have a little state of the union. How many accounts do you have? Because that's probably the only visibility you have. We have over 100 million Alexa-enabled customers worldwide. And that's worldwide, but you don't talk about the proportion that's in the U.S. necessarily? Okay, so we know that it's, it's a, a large fraction in the U.S. I want to hear a little bit about how you're going to extend that reach and how you're using the training that you're doing now to go elsewhere. Because, of course, in the rest of the world, voice feels more to me like the next platform than it does here in the US where we all have these great smartphones and we can already accomplish our day-to-day tasks that way. Uh, let me try to unpack that a little bit. Uh, we think about reach uh, from a customer point of view. And so we very much want Alexa to be uh, available to customers wherever uh, they may want that experience, whether that be in the home, uh, in a hotel room, in a car. Uh, and we've built uh, Alexa as a service, so it's a, a set of APIs that are free, open to developers, and the device manufacturers is a big part of that. You also, so you can take Alexa and embed it into any hard piece of hardware you have, mobile app, PC. The second part is the uh, developer side. So developers are building a rich set of skills uh, on the service, which we think is super important because there's a large uh, selection that customers want. Customer, we're each different. Something that's important to you to do may, may not be important to me. And as we scale worldwide, uh, it becomes even more important because you have local experiences and companies that customers want. And so, and to be clear, wh what languages are you in now? Um, we are in six different languages, uh, 14 different countries. So we're French, Spanish, uh, English, uh, Japanese, German, and I'm forgetting one. Uh, we're working on Portuguese as well. I can answer that a little uh, from the technology perspective as well. So one of the things, as Tony mentioned, uh, we think of English as one language, but it's not. And I also want to point out that these are very localized experience. US English is very different from UK English, very different than Indian English, very different than Australian English. And we are in all these countries. And in terms of the technology, even for non-variants, as in like uh, German versus Italian versus Spanish, all these uh, different languages that are far from English, is also where we focus on a lot of uh, what we call techniques like transfer learning, where knowledge from one task or one language is transferred to another one. And the way we are able to do this is by using neural network technology where we can take a lot of the learning that's encoded in the neural network itself, let's say trained in English, 
and apply it to a new language so that the target language, the amount of data you need to train it on, goes down dramatically by factors. And uh, you so for those who are not familiar with neural networks and transfer learning, which uh, is very hot right now yeah. in your field, what is transfer learning it, from the perspective of like a human child, yeah. for example? Yes, so transfer learning at a very high level is where we learn from our experience uh, and combined with what is another uh, technology term, I'll throw it around, which <laughs> is the reinforcement learning. But let's simplify it for uh, that. Imagine you were a kid and you accidentally touched a candle flame. Uh, then you're encoding yourself in saying, oh, I'm not going to touch something that looks yellowish in color and is flickering a bit, which means if you won't touch a lamp's light bulb, uh, because you've learned that knowledge and you're applying it to a different uh, environment or a different task, and that we do a lot with the combination of uh, reinforcement learning as well, that we then change our mental model because then you touch a flower and then you say, okay, that doesn't, <laughs> doesn't burn my hands. So this is the kind of learning that is, uh, we as humans are great at and AIs are still in their very first innings. In these so right now when you train an AI, you're training it for a very specific task generally. And this is to make the AI uh, able to generalize to related tasks. Exactly. So we are already starting into uh, where, uh, let me give you a very concrete example. There are thousands and thousands of developers who are building what we call skills on Alexa. Uh, we just launched a capability where if you were uh, uh, teaching Alexa a skill on, uh, let's say, restaurant food ordering, uh, then the next stage is if you wanted to have recipe skills, it becomes easier because Alexa has learned through the neural network technology uh, things about food items. Now, re questions regarding recipes are much easier because we already learn the linguistic patterns and the request patterns and what the names are uh, of food items in one domain, which we can now apply to another by leveraging that exact model and, of course, the data that is associated with that. Again, with almost no human supervision. So, speaking of skills, uh, what are the most popular ones right now? First, and, and third party, and what are people actually doing with Alexa these days besides playing music? Uh, music is still a very popular one. Smart home is huge. Uh, it was uh, a, a, an experience that took off very early. Uh, we found that it was greatly simplifying for customers. It still continues to be very popular. Uh, other skills are some of the, um, actually personality is quite popular. Uh, these are you know, jokes and some of the fun factor, people have really personalized Alexa. Uh, some of the others, games, uh, games are very popular. Jeopardy is one of the top skills uh, and trivia. Uh, but people are finding, uh, you know, there's a lot of utility and timers and alarms and reminders and lists and shopping. And so what's important when we think about the experience is that we, we really work on all the things that a customer is going to want to have added convenience for in a given day. We think a lot of a day in a life of a customer. Mm -hmm. And how do we think about making that simpler and easier? And so some of these skills that we launch are uh, may seem really narrow, but they're highly, highly used. They're very popular. What's an amazingly narrow M skill that gets used? Music alarms. Musical what? Alarms. Alarms? Yeah, so wake up to music. 
Ah, I didn't know my Alexa could do that. Yeah, (laughs) and so, and then we have this capability with routines so that customers can start to customize. And so you can actually start to link things together to say at 7 a.m., start playing the weather and then my local news provider. And that just happens automatically. And so it's delightful because it's actually even less work for me because it happens automatically. In terms of smart home, uh, I feel like I've seen the rest of Amazon capitalize on that uh, in terms of these Alexa compatible, uh, it's a piece of branding now, this Alexa compatible smart plug, for example. Could you give me a little insight into how that strategy came about? Do you collaborate at all with the folks who are responsible for creating these additional gadgets? And you say, hey, there's people love smart home, like let's make more of these plugs, or how does that work? Yeah, we do. The the way we think about uh, building our devices, you'll find a lot of times we'll build our own devices or we'll partner with someone. But really, the underlying piece that we're working on are the SDKs. So we want to make the... And for those who are not developers and SDKs... It's a software development kit. And so this is basically exposing the technology that allows developers to build up on top on top of it. So they don't have to ask you permission. They can just plug right into yep. this... Self-service. This portal on the web exactly. with their code. Yeah. And so for us... We do this because some of them we've built ourselves, microwaves as an example, because we had to solve... How are those microwaves selling? I had completely forgotten about it. Uh, I I don't know. I I think it's quite popular, actually. Do either of you have the talking microwave? I don't, but I use it in the smart home lab a lot to make Uh, popcorn. So when you want to make popcorn at work? Yeah, It's, it's super delightful. But the reason why we do that is so that we can actually work through some of the really hard technical challenges uh, as we're building out these uh, SDKs. So the microwave is a means to work through the hard technical challenges? Yeah, and so we do that, and we, when we announced it, we launched it with a, a set of APIs, and now we're looking forward to others building on it. Do you have multilingual employees who are like talking to the microwave, like sassing it in Spanish to see what its limits are? <laughs> we have a lot of multilingual uh, employees. To answer your question, on the microwave, I'll have to find a second home first and then put a new microwave. (laughs) So maybe that's the opportunity. You guys use the word service. You don't talk about platform. Everybody else talks about platform. Everybody wants to be a platform. This is how you make money. Come play in my walled garden. Why don't you describe Alexa as a platform? I'll start there. The way I think of it is uh, it's a service because it's making our lives better. And secondly, it's being, uh, you can integrate Alexa in any environment. Like you're a device manufacturer, you can integrate Alexa in that. Uh, if you uh, have a, are a mobile app developer, you can put Alexa into that. So I think of it as really as a service for our customers and developers. That's how I think about it. So just to unpack that a little bit, if, if you were a platform, you would have your own area where people had to come, like an app store, you do have an app store, but your point is that you want to be more externally facing, you want to push it out? Yes, yes, okay. that's exactly how we think about that. Do you, who's your, who else do you compare yourselves to when you say we're a service, not a platform? I would say right now I'm, I spend every day waking up on satisfying our customers worldwide. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an amazing opportunity where we can do so many things. So. Uh, I, I would say I'm thinking more in terms of how we wake up every day and make our service the best for our customers because there's so much you can do in this space. And especially from a technologist like me, it's a great opportunity to be part of something like this. When we think about 
the level of trust required to put a listening device in our home. Obviously, for millions, a hundred million households, you've already earned that level of trust. Uh, part of it is that you have to deliver a high level of convenience so that people want to even make that leap in the first place. Uh, but the simple fact of the matter is that you and many of your competitors need data to provide a, a particular or a more enhanced service. Like if I want you, Alexa to understand what is the traffic like on the way to work, you need to know where I work. How do you uh, balance uh, or, or, or put guardrails around the need for that data versus the need to maintain privacy in a world where that data was, unless we were living in some sort of authoritarian country, it's never been in anybody's hands before. We, I'll, I'll start with this one. Uh, it's about customer choice. And so we only collect the data that we need to provide the service to the customer. And so the example you just used, uh, we don't have your work address unless you provide your work address. Uh, and we try to make it very clear to customer the benefit of providing the data, uh, in addition to having easy controls for customers to be able to remove the data, to delete it. Uh, we believe very much in transparency uh, for the information and, and what that information and the value exchange is for customers. And just to get into the nitty gritty, whether or not you share that data is not always up to you, right? Because like any tech company, law enforcement is going to make requests of you. Um, do you, does your ex transparency extend to disclosing the rate at which that happens and the nature? Uh, we have robust uh, uh, FAQs and information for customers. We don't disclose how often it happens. It's very rare. Mm -hmm. uh, it tends to get picked up in the press uh, when it does happen, but it's very rare. Now, uh, Apple's solution to that has, of course, been to build privacy in at the device level so that if the FBI come and, comes and asks Tim Cook for something, he's like, guess what? That data doesn't exist. You have a device level protection of the wake word, right? Which, as I understand it, is like in the firmware, isn't it? Isn't a chip? Is that sort of your first line of defense against gathering too much data? I would say, like, uh, I think it is exactly the fact that it's very transparent about what processing is happening on the device, and very clearly, like, uh, I think it's, uh, it's as you know, it only hears for the wake word on the device, and then after the wake word. When it wakes up, the light ring comes on, and that's when the data is going to the cloud. So right. I don't know whether, I mean, it's, uh, it, it's, you have to get into a lot of details on that, and some, I, I don't feel like the technology, it's a lot of adversarial uh, learning possible here, so we want to protect how we exactly we, uh, we protect your information on the device and in the cloud. So uh, I can't speak to what our uh, com competitors do there, but in our mind frame, it's super important to have the best amount of privacy-focused technology features, both in the device and in the cloud, just like encryption is a common thing that we do, and we don't reveal the details of how we encrypt the data. Mm -hmm. uh, but is that, a, is that a challenge for you that shapes your strategy? Because it, 
you guys are big now. I mean, it started out, uh, Alexa, the sort of early oral histories of it make it sound like, hey, let's do a fun academic project, like a million other things that a Amazon has done and failed at and seems to have no qualms about failing at. As you have scaled, have you had to build more of that into it? Has it informed your thinking? Has it informed the design of new devices? We, uh, from the very beginning, this was very important to us when we started the project. And so, yes, Amazon invests in lots of different programs and initiatives, but from day one, when we thought about building a voice assistant in the cloud, uh, privacy data trust went into the thinking. It, it, Rohit mentioned already, but there are a lot of decisions that were made in the hardware uh, when we launched Echo, from the mute button, the mute button is, when you push the button, it's electronically disconnected, uh, so the device won't wake up. Uh, the LED, we thought a lot about the patterns to make sure customers understood when the device woke up, but also when it was streaming to the cloud, you can add an audible tone to it. And the list just goes on and on. Uh, the voice recordings, the deleting of them one by one, all. And we ha we've continued with that. I actually think the decisions we, ma we made early on were the right decisions. Uh, and we've continued to improve those. Uh, we've made it easier to search for your voice history and easier to delete. You can delete last week, et cetera. And so we'll continue to look at ways to strengthen uh, what we already have, which is a really good foundation, uh, and we'll continue to hear from, from customers uh, what their feedback is as well. And I would just go back to your initial part of where you said uh, things like this start like an academic project, and Amazon is quite the opposite. Uh, we thought of Alexa as a way that will revolutionize daily convenience from day one with voice, which is the best medium to communicate, if you think about it. And it brought ambient computing in its form. And it wasn't, even though I'm, again, a scientist by trade, but it wasn't so much by that, oh, it's an academic project. It was really a service. And we had to solve some incredible hard challenges along the way from on the technology front and all the other stuff that Tony talked about, customer transparency. These are sort of entrenched in everything we do in when we work backwards from the customer needs. And as we were building this product, uh, all the questions were like, okay, how, what kind of protection we want and what kind of customer trust we want with these devices? And that's exactly how we operate, backwards from the customer. So let's talk about the state of the art. Um, my experience, personally trying all these devices is uh, Alexa is not the best at understanding me. It still has the most utility for me personally. Um, you are obviously pushing really hard every day toward making it uh, better able to understand all of us. But how do you see uh, the necessity of making it fault tolerant to the incredible variety of ways that we speak to one another, even in individual families? Uh, I can start. Uh, so we think of it as the way you said, uh, what Alexa is great right now at is completing transactional requests. Uh, and it's getting smarter in those, and I, by that I mean by, as Tony said, playing your favorite tune, some favorite artist, uh, controlling your smart devices in homes, and the amount of skills it has is massive. We, uh, we have the largest skills possible in the world right now. And, uh, but the next few years, I think you'll find Alexa add more and more utility, more and more functionality, uh, more and more fun, because that's an important aspect. And the way I think this is going to happen from a technology perspective is that you'll find 
from transactional, Alexa will become more conversational, not for the sake of just carrying a conversation, but for you to get what you want. Uh, one of the things you said uh, that you don't know what all Alexa has, like you, weren't uh, you didn't know about music alarms, you mm -hmm. said. Uh, so one of the things we have started doing that if you asked for, like this happened to me, I asked for when are the Oscars, uh, and what time does it start? And it said 8 p.m. today. I was in the Eastern time zone, as you can tell. And the next thing it said, do you want me to set a reminder? So if you had never used a reminder feature, it would start telling you that here's something that you can try and get more utility. And, uh, and this is the incredible hard part with AIs like this, where it's not like game playing like a, a game of Go or chess, where every uh, goal is clear, you exactly know where you are in a, in a particular game. Uh, here, when I ask Alexa, if I, let's say you're, uh, if you're based in New York and you are asking, what's the weather in Boston? It's highly unlikely you're just curious about the weather in Boston. So what's likely going to be happening? You're probably thinking of making a business trip there or a family trip there. So how can Alexa help you accomplish these tasks by being more proactive, more smart, about what's the next likely thing that our customer wants with the goal, which is latent. So you'll start seeing more of these aspects of conversational proactive behavior that goes across all skills and all capabilities Alexa so has we're, to we're be at, more useful. We're taking baby steps now. Yeah. When are we gonna get to true conversational interfaces? Yeah, I'll tell you, like, so uh, the answer is it will take a lot of time. And if you haven't experienced this on Alexa, we like have... Like a lot of time, like Mars colonies a lot of time? <laughs> or like hopping so in a self-driving in Phoenix amount of time? Let me tell you where we are first, and then we can try and answer that from that perspective. So if you haven't experienced uh, something we call Alexa Prize, which is a, a university-focused competition for that true open domain uh, uh, natural conversation on any topic, uh, you should try it. It's, uh, you can just say, Alexa, let's chat, and you'll get one of these random social Alexa, bots. Alexa, let's chat. Let's chat. Okay, so everybody who's listening to the podcast version of this now, their Alexa just woke up. <laughs> so what should we ask Alexa to chat about? So that, that you can experience that. It can say, uh, what, depending on which university's social bot is talking to you, it will come back with a prompt that will nudge you to a certain topic. Uh, it can range from sports to music to entertainment of uh, like uh, movies, latest movies and so forth. Uh, but it is telling you, it will show you both where the technology has come and what are the limitations. Uh, and the big one there is to be able to maintain what we call short-term memory and even some long-term memory across different turns. So that if you had given some information in the conversation, uh, can you ask implicitly about it? The Future of Everything is a production of The Wall Street Journal. This episode was produced by Becca Weinman. Thanks to our editors on the live journalism team, Yoon Hee Kim, Nikki Waller, and Kim Last. And special thanks to festival organizers Anna Raftal, Andrea Acosta, and Robin Wood Saylor. Be sure to check back for regular episodes in the weeks ahead, and remember to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening. I'm Anthony Green. This episode is brought to you by Vanta. Vanta's trust management platform helps you quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for SOC 2, ISO 27001, and more. Learn how by watching Vanta's on-demand demo at vanta.com slash WSJ.